Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 505 for August 7th, 2016. This week, if you connect your mobile device to a public Wi-Fi network and you don't yet have a virtual private network application, you're asking for trouble. I found what looks like the perfect solution. Those good old scams were better. A fake Nigerian prince could be spotted at 50 paces, but now ransomware can take over your computer and the crooks don't always give it back when you pay the ransom. In short circuits, the latest version of Maxthon's browser has some clever features, but some people are complaining about privacy. The Windows 10 Anniversary Edition has been pushed out. Most of my computers like it. I'll tell you about one that doesn't. Kodak wants you to spy on your cat or dog, and a Russian service has an app that lets you make five-second videos. In spare parts only on the website, Verizon continues to spend money on acquisitions and we'll take a look at the future of retail as online buying changes the landscape dramatically. Using a virtual private network application, a VPN, is essential if you ever connect to the internet via a public Wi-Fi hotspot, or even if you connect to the internet via somebody else's private Wi-Fi hotspot. Cost is no longer a factor, though. For infrequent users, services such as private internet access may seem too expensive at $40 a year. There's an alternative that has a very attractive price, free. Uh, yes, there is a catch, but let's take a look at it. It's called Private Tunnel. Now, if you're a geek, you can set up your own VPN server at no cost. This is not something that most people are going to want to do, though, because you'll need a server that's running a firewall application, or you'll need to configure your ISP's firewall to pass traffic to the VPN server. Once you've done that, you'll need to select a VPN technology that's available on your firewall, on your VPN server, and on your personal computing devices. Well, forget that. So maybe you're looking for a service that you can just use. Commercial services exist, and previously I have described private Internet access. It costs $40 per year. It is an excellent value for people who travel frequently or use coffee shop Wi-Fi hotspots on a regular basis. If you're not in that group, $40 might seem like just a little bit too much. So perhaps Private Tunnel is what you're looking for. Create an account and download the app for your device. The first two gigabytes of data will cost nothing at all. The limitation is that you can choose only the Private Tunnel server in Chicago. And you're already wondering what happens when you hit that two gigabyte mark. Well, when that happens, you can buy additional data. $10 for 20 gigabytes. If you're a light user, that could last all year. $20 for 100 gigabytes. That's not per month. Whatever you buy is good forever. And you can use the service on any Windows or Mac computer 
or any Android, iOS, or Windows mobile device. If you do travel a lot, maybe you should consider the $30 annual plan. In that case, the amount of data is unlimited, but you can't connect more than 10 devices. 10 devices. Do you have more than 10 devices? Probably not. For many people, that $20 plan could last several years if used judiciously. If you're a paying client, you can choose from several VPN servers. That means you can appear on the Internet to be at any one of several locations in the United States or at several locations outside the United States. While that feature is useful, the more essential feature is encryption. When you're sending or receiving email or connecting to a website, all traffic is encrypted. As I prepared this article, I was in the waiting room of an auto repair shop while my car was having its oil changed, its tires rotated, and several other routine maintenance actions performed. The Wi-Fi in the waiting room was totally open. Nobody in the room looked suspicious, but you never know. I started Private Tunnel because I knew I would be connecting to my email server and to other services that should not have the credentials sent in plain text. Private Tunnel looks about the same on a Windows PC as it does on a Mac, and you'll see screenshots from both systems on the TechBiter Worldwide website. On an Android device, you'll have a full-screen page to connect. When the connection has been made, the Android operating system displays a lock icon at the top of the screen. The ease of connecting and disconnecting is a plus for the service, because users can easily turn the service off when they're on a corporate network or their own home network and turn it on with just a couple of clicks when they need to connect via a public Wi-Fi hotspot. Private Tunnel is operated by OpenVPN Technologies. It's a privately held company in California. Currently, more than 4 million people use the service, and OpenVPN Technologies says that about 100,000 new users sign up every month. The bottom line for Private Tunnel, five cats, you need a VPN. Private Tunnel is a really good choice. The $10 and $20 plans I think are great for people who use public Wi-Fi hotspots just every now and then because the data limits never expire. For those who travel a lot or use public Wi-Fi hotspots every day, the $30 annual plan would certainly be a good choice. Earlier this week, the free plan ran dry, so I signed up for the $30 annual plan. Anyone who uses public Wi-Fi hotspots should be using VPN technology. Not doing so is both negligent and dangerous. You'll find additional details about Private Tunnel on the company's website. There is a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. I was sitting around this week remembering the good old scams. Not too long ago, the most serious threats we encountered from scammers involved people pretending to be, oh, Nigerian princes or crooked bankers. They just wanted you to help them get millions of dollars out of the country. Those threats were ineffective if the targeted victim had any common sense at all. But the threats are a lot more dangerous now, and they're harder to avoid. Ransomware is probably one of the most dangerous threats, and even that threat has been evolving. Until recently, crooks were at least honest crooks. 
those who paid the ransom received a code that allowed them to decrypt their files. Now a growing number of crooks take the money and run. The crooks are finding better ways to get their malware onto computers. Increasingly, they are targeting big businesses. The FBI handled nearly 2,500 complaints about ransomware last year. That is up from about 1,500 in 2014. Losses were estimated to be more than $1.6 million, and it's likely the number of incidents and the amount of losses were actually much larger. Scammers typically asked for just a few hundred dollars when they locked files on a small company's or individual's computer. Now they're going after hospitals and school systems. Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center paid $17,000 to regain access to its systems after an attack shut down their communication systems for 10 days. The Horry County School District in South Carolina paid $8,500 so that they could recover the use of hundreds of computers. The initial intrusion there was spotted very quickly, but it still put some 60% of the school district's computers out of operation in just minutes. If something like this happens to you, the first thing to do is shut down the network. Then determine which machines have been infected and take them completely off the network. Once you've done that and you're sure that you've identified and removed all the infected machines, it's probably safe to re-enable the network again so you can continue working. ZDNet recently wrote about a free ransomware response kit that includes a suite of tools that might be able to help. You need to decide whether you're going to pay the ransom or not. Some experts recommend paying. Some say that this only encourages the thieves. Given that some of the crooks won't unlock your data even if you do pay, Refusing to pay is becoming a more rational option. If you have a good backup system, check to see if critical files can be restored. But rather than reacting, it's better to be prepared. Swiss security company Hitech Bridge offers several free security tools that can be used to test your network. SSL TLS Server Test checks your servers for security and compliance with certain standards. Web Server Security Test examines your web server for compliance with Open Web Application Security Project guidelines. And Domain Security Radar helps to identify typo-squatted, cyber-squatted, and phishing websites that are designed to look like your website. Some other recommendations from Hitech Bridge include teaching employees how to identify messages with dangerous attachments so that malware can't gain a foothold. Developing an emergency response strategy so that you can notify employees immediately if malware is detected. Being sure that you have identified all devices on your network. This is really easy for homes and small business users, but it's a lot more difficult in large organizations where employees may have their own devices that are connected to the network. Hitech Bridge also recommends keeping all software up to date, particularly operating systems. Systems that don't have all current security patches are easy marks for crooks. Running continuous backups is a good idea. Every device should be backed up every day. And this includes employee-owned devices that are on the network. And needless to say, those backups should be stored off-site. Hitech Bridge says that medium and large businesses should segment their networks so that financial information is available only to those who need it. It is much harder for malware to travel across a segmented network. The danger is real, and it can be fatal to a company, large or small. 
and a huge inconvenience to an individual. In short circuits, Chinese browser publisher Maxlon has released a beta version of its new MX5 browser, and some users are raising concerns about privacy and security. The browser offers more features than Firefox, Chrome, Edge, and Internet Explorer, but some of those features make users nervous, maybe even paranoid. Maxlon chief executive Jeff Chen writes the company's blog. He says that the primary goal is to be an information assistant for users, and he cites three features designed to do exactly that. An info box that allows users to save web pages in the cloud. A password manager is built in, and the browser offers a way to create email aliases that can help insulate the user from spam. If you think these features sound like you'll need an account to use them, you are right. You can't use the Maxon browser until you set up an account. Security firm Exotel published a report almost immediately after the original beta was released a week or so ago. Exotel reported that Maxon collects sensitive user information and sends URLs to Maxon's server. That is, in fact, part of the company's user experience improvement program. But you can turn it off, or you're supposed to be able to turn it off. Most applications today have similar options, limited to sending usage and crash reports for analysis so that developers can improve the products. Exotel reported that turning off the user experience improvement program in Maxthon had no effect. Chen says that the Exotel report revealed a bug in the code. Users are supposed to have full control when it comes to opting in or opting out of the UEIP, he said. If a user opts out, the UEIP is not supposed to collect information. However, he continued, upon investigating the situation based on the Exotel report, we located a bug in our 2007 code library. We have immediately fixed this bug, and we thank the Exotel team for helping us to identify the problem. The UEIP concept isn't unusual. Adobe does it. Microsoft does it. Most online applications do it. Maxthon describes its UEIP policy in its terms and conditions. Chen and the security firm Exotel both note that the information Maxthon collects is designed to improve the user experience by better configuring the software users run in the system. So does the Maxthon browser send URLs to a Maxthon server? Yes, but Maxthon doesn't store them unless you're storing a page in the info box as with several other browsers and other security applications, the URL is sent so that it can be evaluated. The evaluation determines whether the website is safe. Some other browsers have similar functions. Chen says that the security checks have prevented users from visiting millions of fake and malicious websites since 2005. Even so, Chen says an option will be added to allow users to turn off the scanner if they want it off. I have used the Maxthon browser in the past and have generally found it to be well-designed. It is not widely used, however. Currently, I'm looking at the new MX5 browser, so a full review will be coming. Maxthon's goals really are impressive. 
MX5 registration allows users to be protected by a secure username and password. MX5's Passkeeper feature, the password holder, is claimed to provide triple encryption and multi-channel security using AES-25 algorithm. Now, that may be more marketing hyperbole. I'm working to determine if that's the case. And finally, MX5's virtual email box protects users' real email addresses and eliminates spam. Unlike most browsers that pick one rendering engine or the other, Maxthon uses both Trident and WebKit. Because it does that, it's able to render just about any page, old or new, properly. Currently, you'll find occasional spelling errors in menus and configurations. That's to be expected, perhaps, from a browser whose developers do not speak English as their primary language. Give me a couple of weeks as Maxon rolls out additional updates, and I'll let you know what I think of it. Microsoft released the promised anniversary edition of Windows 10 on the 2nd of August. It installed without a problem on the notebook that's been running the Insider Preview. It installed without a problem on the Surface tablet. Not so, though, on my production desktop system. The desktop just sat there looking at me, so I told it to go check for updates. It told me there were none. Then I drilled down through the menus and found a Get the Anniversary Update link. Clicking that opened a browser and allowed me to download a small installer. CPU OK, it told me. Memory OK. Disk space OK. But then, display. The display is not compatible with Windows 10. Check with the manufacturer for support. So the monitor, all right, these two monitors aren't brand new, but they're not really very old. Two monitors that had been running just fine with Windows 10 for a year suddenly aren't compatible. Thinking the message might have just been a fluke, I repeated the process and got the same result. The message specifically pointed to the monitors, but maybe, I thought, it's actually seeing a problem with the video subsystem's drivers. An update existed for the NVIDIA graphics card. After downloading and installing that, I learned that Windows 10 still didn't like my monitors. A quick detour to the device manager showed that the monitors were generic plug-and-play, not Asus monitors. Asus didn't have any updated software, I didn't expect them to, and Windows shouldn't need any help in identifying the monitors. After all, the color management system I use, Color Monkey, easily identified them exactly as what they are. An hour on the phone with a Microsoft support technician didn't resolve the problem. We are both pursuing some additional possibilities, some of which are going to be very time-consuming. So, around here, we're two for three. I expect that to increase to three for four when I run the update process for my wife's computer. When the process works, it works very well. Now, admittedly, my desktop computer is kind of a special snowflake because of everything that's installed on it, both hardware and software. 
so I expect the update will go well for most users and that eventually it'll go well for me on the desktop. couple of quick items this week about video. Let's start with Kodak's hardware that lets you keep an eye on Fido or Fluffy. And then we'll move on to a Russian internet service provider's application for tiny video shorts. The Kodak Connected Family Home system makes it possible to keep an eye on your home when you are not there. Now it's been expanded with the addition of the PET highlight reel to allow the CFH V15 camera to turn video clips into a montage you can save or share. Fido and Fluffy will no longer have any privacy at all. Tendi Insights developed Kodak's connected home system, and the new update allows the system to recognize animals and compile recorded clips into video montages. Not only can you watch your pets, but you can talk to them using a two-way talkback audio via the iSecurity app accessible from any smartphone, tablet, or computer. Watch streaming HD video and control pan and tilt functions from where you are. Kodak says the system connects to any Wi-Fi network and a battery power option makes it portable. Automated editing allows users to create and share polished videos, they say, of their pets without any prior editing expertise or practice. The Kodak Video Monitor CFH V15 with Pet Highlight Reel is available for about $100. If you'd like more information, you'll find it at PetHighlightReel.com. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And then halfway around the globe, the Mail.ru group wants you to try its neural network-powered app to process videos. It's called Artisto, and it uses neural networks for editing short videos and processing them in the style of famous artworks or any other source image. The app is available from the App Store, and Google Play globally. Artisto now processes five-second videos. It offers 14 filters to choose from. New filters will be added later. Mail.ru, as you doubtless suspect, is headquartered in Moscow. It is one of Europe's largest internet service providers. In machine learning and cognitive science, artificial neural networks are inspired by biological neural networks. In other words, the central nervous system of animals, and in particular, the brain. A neural network attempts to approximate functions that can depend on a large number of inputs that are generally unknown. Anna Artemanova, a Mail.ru Group vice president, says that neural networks are attracting a lot of attention now and that the group was eager to test out stylization capabilities that such networks provide. There are very few neat solutions for redrawing photos, she says, so it was only logical to try our hand at video. The app is available now for both Android and iOS devices. And available right now for your eyes in spare parts only on the website, Verizon continues to spend money on acquisitions and will take a look at the future of retail as online buying changes the landscape dramatically. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. 
And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.